You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Well, let's take our Bibles one more time and uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 as we um, take a look at this um, last chapter as the last message in our series, The Rock Won't Move. Uh, the rock won't move. We know, again, that the rock wasn't Peter. Uh, Peter had his struggles and his failures. He's just like the rest of us. The rock that doesn't move is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we've been seeing the example of that as we've gone all the way through this book. And uh, today we're biting off chapter 5, and um, it's going to be like drinking from a fire hose today. And uh, just so you're ready, so if you're taking notes, warm up your pen, loosen up your fingers, and uh, get ready to go, um, because there's too much at stake. Uh, Peter comes to the end of the book, and um, he's going to kind of try and sum it all up. Here's what you need, and uh, there's too much at stake. You know, when I think about the blessings of our church and uh, what God has called us to and uh, what we've seen, even in this year and the blessings of what God has poured out to us, um, the salvations that we've already seen. Um, last weekend, not in this service this time, but last weekend there were uh, four people who were baptized. And uh, we rejoice in God's working in that. Uh, this weekend we have 45 youth and leaders up on a retreat, junior high-aged youth and leaders away on a retreat. I can remember days in the school. George, you can remember days in the school. That was the whole congregation. And uh, 45 junior high-age students away on a retreat, along with uh, almost 400 others as they're being ministered to, even right now um, up in Muskoka. You think about the Lord has allowed us to see and be a part of here, uh, the planting of the church in Durham, and uh, God's working in that. Um, And now the commissioning of the church that will be uh, out from us, one church on two campuses as God has given us an opportunity in a new market. And, and what will it be in the future? Uh, the provision of this building for us, a gift from God, a foundation place that uh, we've been able to um, move forward in ways that we never dreamt of. Uh, what God has called us to is an amazing thing. And there's too much at stake. We dare not mess it up. But rather, with God's help and in his strength, move forward for the fame of the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you've got your Bibles open. We're not going to read the whole chapter, although we're going to go through most of it. I'm just going to read the first five verses today. So let's stand. We want to honor God as we read his word. I'm going to read verses 1 to 5. Follow along and listen as I read. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your word again this morning. 
And we come to this last chapter, Lord. This has been an amazing book for us to consider and learn from and apply. And and now Peter's going to lay down some things for us. And Lord, I pray that you would just uh, give us a receptiveness to what your word says today. Ears, God, to hear it carefully and listen. Minds that we might understand it. But then, Lord, passionate hearts because of who you are and what you've done for us, that we would live out our lives for the one who deserves all the glory. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, Peter starts out the passage with a word. He says, so, so. The only thing he could have done that would have made it better for me is if he had said, so what? Um, I'll ask him when we get to heaven why he didn't do that. I'm sure he had a really good reason, and maybe my thing's just lame. But um, if you've been around, that's where we end every message. Well, he's coming to the end of his message. It's the end of his letter. Um, This whole chapter is really Peter's so what? So what? After all the things we've learned and all the things that we've heard, uh, this is the big so what? It's time to land the plane. It's time to kind of bring it all down. And so as he's gone through and taught them so much, he comes to now, so, so, okay, get ready, here we go. The first thing is, so, a word to the elders, a word to the elders. In, um, in verse one, he says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, the rest of you don't get to sit back now and go, okay, so this next part of the message, uh, Pastor Paul's preaching to the elders. Um, that's true, but there's lots for you to learn and lots for you to consider. And when you hear what he says and the responsibility and the, the, um, uh, the load that he is putting on them, you need to be people who pray for your elders. This job is too big for us. It's too much. But it's not too much with God's help. It's not too much with his support and knowing that he goes with us and helps us. So listen carefully and be engaged as you consider what God has called the elders to and uh, who they are. First thing he kind of lays out for them as he's writing to them is his rapport with them. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, as a a fellow elder. Um, Paul, uh, Peter gives a great picture of servant leadership here. He doesn't set himself up as I'm in charge and you people are going to do all the things you need to do. He says, we're in this together. Uh, we're in this together. And the elders of our church are in it together. I'm not the super elder, believe me. I'm not the super elder. I'm one elder at the table and we are in it together. And so when he talks about serving as a fellow elder, he's speaking to them as one who's on the team. Um, he's not even really technically the elders for these people in that sense. He's not there every week. He's, a, he's the one who's writing to them to encourage them and help them. And so he says, as a fellow elder, as one who's in this with you, as a fellow elder, a witness to the suffering of Christ. As he says this, he reminds them, I saw it. I saw it. I saw what the Lord went through. I'm not greater than you. I'm with you in this together. But I speak to you as one who was there. Uh, He speaks to them as one who failed in the midst of what he saw. 
As he watched the suffering of Christ, he was the one who just lopped off the uh, ear and he was the one who denied the Lord three times and he was the one who ran out and wept bitterly, but, but he was also the one who saw it. He was there. And when the Lord rose from the dead and he told them, go and tell the disciples and Peter, he was the one who was restored three times. He said, I saw it. It's real. So he speaks to them of his rapport as a fellow elder and as a witness He spoke with credibility. He spoke with a foundation. He spoke with passion to them. And he says, a fellow elder, a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And so he's about to speak to them. There's something that's coming. And we'll see that again, but there's something coming. There's a a reward. There is a blessing that is poured out on those who are called to lead in the church. So he starts with his rapport. But then he goes on and he talks about their role. We see it in verses 2 and 3. There are other places in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy and in the book of Titus, that talk about the qualifications of an elder. Um, uh, Peter's not on that page in this text. He's talking about, here's guys, here's what you need to do. This is what you need to be about. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Uh, What was their role? What were they to do? The first thing he said was, shepherd the flock that is among you. Shepherd the flock that is among you. Uh, They're going to give an account. We're going to see that in just a minute for the way they lead and the way they give direction. And uh, they were called to shepherd them or to pastor them, to care for them, to feed them, to direct them, to prepare the way for them, to love them. Shepherd, shepherd the flock that is among you exercising oversight. That's the idea of a bishop um, giving oversight to what is going on. What the elders are called to do in this church is to shepherd and care and love the sheep and to give oversight. We believe the major function of the elders in our church is in the areas of doctrine and discipline and direction. Uh, That's what we're called to do, to give oversight in those things. So Dave and Dave and George and I, as we sit at the table, we carry the burden to shepherd the flock of God and to give oversight. Well, how do we do it? How do we do that? Not under compulsion, but willingly. You're not being forced to do this, but you desire to do this. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Let me tell you, sometimes the sheep are difficult. Look at your spouse or the person you're with and say, sometimes you're difficult. It's easy if you're married. Just be careful. It's not always easy. We sit at the table on Wednesday night and pray for the church and consider the people who are here. and We do it because God has called us to do it. There's a a compulsion as to why we sit at the table. If we're only there because of all the accolades that come, those guys would have quit a long, long time ago. But rather they come to shepherd the flock of God and we do it willingly. We're not forced, but called by God. And then he says to do it 
eagerly and not for shameful gain. Any elder that would sit at a table thinking that people would look at them and say, well, look what we have done. Look who we are. Doesn't understand what it means to be called by God. Doesn't understand what it means to lead the church. Doesn't understand what it means to serve. But we still do it eagerly. Not looking for shameful gain. 2 Corinthians 2, 17 says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Eagerly with a right motive out of a passion for Christ, not for fame or fortune or power or pleasure or for self-interest. Elders, shepherd the flock of God. Do it willingly. Do it eagerly. Not, do, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example. Being an example. The role of being an elder is a calling on your life. And we're called to be an example. Some things I know about it, it's not easy. There are difficult things you have to do. There are judgments that you have to make and you cry out before the Lord and it's, Lord, you need to help us. That verse in Chronicles, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Uh, It's not easy. You need to pray for your elders because we're seeking to lead the church in a way that would honor the Lord. And it's not easy. The spotlight is always on you. Uh, People are always looking and they're always wondering. And they look at your family and they look at your marriage and... It's not easy. And that's why you need to pray for your elders. You need to pay for their protection and for their purity. I love the way that Dave prayed for Mike and Ange in their marriage. You need to pray for the marriages of your elders that God would protect them. Because what they're called to is not easy. Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Ephesians 5, 1, he said, be imitators of God as beloved children. Being an example is not easy. Being an example requires consistency. The elders don't get to just flick their elder switch on on Saturday night at 5.30 and then Sunday at 9 and then again at 11. Just like the rest of the followers of Jesus Christ, we're followers of Jesus Christ 24-7. But the spotlight is on you. The examination light is on you. And sometimes it's a heavy burden and it requires a consistency. 24-7. You don't get to stop being an elder when you get home and you're in the living room with your kids or or you're having a spat with your wife or you're in the workplace. It requires consistency. Hey, church, here's something you need to see. We won't do it perfectly. There's the charge to the elders, but there's the reminder to the people that we won't do it perfectly. You know, I think about how God has led in our church. Uh, We were on our way up to the middle of York Region to a school up there and uh, had prayed it through and thought it was right. And we were like, we had already got the contract ready to go from Middlefield up to Elgin Mills and Leslie. And the Lord closed the door. And he closed the door by opening this door. But we were heading up the road. We won't do it perfectly. 
And there are times that the elders will have to come back to the church and go, you know what? We prayed about this. We sought the Lord on this and we thought it was the right thing to do. And sometimes the elders have to have the courage of the second decision, the courage to go back and go, you know what? That's not what the Lord had for us. We're going to do the other thing. And you need to be ready for that. Not to follow blindly your elders, but you need to be praying for them and spurring them on and encouraging them. And there may be the day when the elders have to come to the church and say, we were wrong and we need to ask you to forgive us. There's no enduring relationships without forgiveness. It's true in your home. It's true in the church. The elders won't be perfect, but we're called to serve faithfully. We're called to serve with intentionality. We're called to serve with eyes of faith. Willing to take a risk, as it were. It's not a risk to God. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows where it's all going to go. And hey, when we thought about Durham, the first thing was like, well, okay, Lord. Um, We had a plan, and God worked in a way that wasn't really the way we thought it was going to work, and there it is. And and, uh, we made a plan as it relates to Newmarket and trusting the Lord for it, and the Lord changed the plan on that as we move forward. And um, what will the Lord have for us as we move forward in this facility or other things and in ministries we need to think about and, and launch into and be a part of? And the elders are called as examples to be people who through eyes of faith are willing to step out and take a risk. He says to them, serve willingly, serve eagerly, serve as an example. And then he comes to verse four. And he says this, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Uh, The cool thing in that is that he doesn't even say you're going to get it while you're on earth. I still am at the pinch me to make sure I'm awake that this is really happening as we consider what the Lord has done in our church and the blessings we've even talked about in the introduction of this, uh, this service, the numbers of people God has bought, the plants we've been allowed to be a part of and do, the things the Lord has allowed us to do all the way around the world. It's like, Lord, pinch me. But that's nothing compared to what God is going to bless us with. Be faithful, elders. Hang in there, elders. Stick with it, elders. Bring glory to God in what you do. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So Peter starts out in his so what for the church. And he says, elders, elders, here's your word. In church, you need to pray for your elders. But then the rest of the chapter is a a word to the others. A word to the others. Uh, Look, uh, starting down in uh, verse 5, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. A word to the others. And the first others that he speaks to here are those who are younger. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Uh, There's a principle in Scripture Um, In Titus, you see it clearly where um, um, Paul is talking and he talks about the older people teaching the younger and the younger learning from the older, the younger men learning from the older men and the younger women learning from the older women. And and that's a true and that's a great principle all throughout Scripture. And so um, the first thing he says is a word to the others is to be subject. And he points to those who are younger and he um, says, be subject 
be subject. You're like, but they're, but they're old fuddy-duddies. Like, they don't understand all the things we know now. They don't use all the cool gadgets that we... Hey, here's what they've got. They've got time and experience and have dealt with difficult things. And you need to lean into them. You need to trust them. You need to learn from their example. And as they demonstrate the word of God, you need to be subject to it. The word I love to say is they've got spilt milk. They've been through hard, hard things. And they can be an amazing help and amazing support to you. And so he says to the younger, be subject to the elders. Caution. Be careful when you think you have the answers. Be careful when you think you have the answers. It's not that the older I get, the dumber I get. But the reality is, the older I get, the more I realize I still have to learn. The older I get, the more I thought the things I had figured out. I don't have them figured out all the ways I thought I had them figured out. As the young man said to me a week or so in the church has been married just over a year or so. And he said, I thought by now I'd have her figured out. I mean, I've been married for 35 years. I haven't got my wife figured out yet. Right. But that's that, that's that energy and that excitement and the, we got the answers to the things in life and be careful. If in your mind, you think you've got it figured out because it's going to learn, lean to something in the next part of the verse about pride. And you're going to see how God deals with that. But there are a couple of amazing verses in Scripture. They're found over in Hebrews uh, chapter 13. Now keep your finger in First Peter and just turn over there. If these verses aren't marked in your Bible, they need to be marked in your Bible, especially as it relates to the church. Uh, Hebrews 13 verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. You want to know the burden of being an elder? Here it is right here. For they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. A word to the others, uh, be subject. A word to the others is be humble. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, all of you, all, repeat after me, all. Is that me? Yeah, is that you? Yeah, all. It's everybody. All of you, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility, with humility toward one another. Humility is understanding who you are in light of what God has done. Humility is the result of when you understand how glorious God is and how pathetic we are in our sinfulness. Humble yourself. Be humble to one another. Humility is something that you put on. It's an action. It's a focus. 
Remember what John the Baptist said when uh, his followers were watching and Jesus was baptizing others? And in John chapter 3 and verse 30, uh, John the Baptist, who's kind of like the, the front man, who's the guy who's leading the way, who's paving the way for the Lord Jesus to come. And what does John say? John says, hey, you see that guy over there? That guy over there, John 3.30. He must increase. I must decrease. He must increase. I must decrease. John, John the Baptist could have very easily been a, uh, an empire building kind of guy. But he wasn't. He saw who the Lord was. He's trying to understand it and figured it all out. But here's what he knew. He must increase. I must decrease. Follower of Jesus Christ, dear one, Jesus Christ must be more in our lives and we must be less. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. That's coming in just a moment. Be subject, be humble, because there are consequences. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Here it is. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Whenever I am proud, I am working in opposition to God. So think about your week. Think about what's important to you. Think about what you want. Think about how you're accomplishing things. And and ask yourself, is God standing in opposition to me? Am I paddling upstream and I got really no oars because God is in opposition to me because I want what I want and I'm not surrendering to the things that the Lord would have me surrender to. I am on the throne. He is not on the throne in certain things and certain areas of my life. And we wonder why we feel empty sometimes and discouraged and, and yet there's this area of your life, it's whether it might be your kids and what you want for them and, and you think that, no, they've got to have these things, they've got to be about these things and, or maybe it's about what you want in a job or the way you think your perfect little family should look or the things that you have to have. And because if I had those things, see, that would be the badge of honor. And then people would look at me and they would respect me. God opposes you in those things. God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to those who are humble Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And we wonder. We wonder sometimes why it's not working out for us. We wonder why we don't have the joy that we should have. And it's because you want what you want. You want God on your terms. And God opposes the proud. Some of you who accepted Christ when you were a little bit older, you'll identify with this. What kept you from Christ was your pride. It was your pride. It's like, well, I'm not doing that. I surrender. No way I am doing that. Because I am who I am. I made myself. I'm a, I am a man or I am a woman and look what I've accomplished and And Christ offered to you a free gift of eternal life. 
and you are on the I want what I want plan. That's pride, and God is in opposition to that. And it wasn't until you came and were broken of yourself and understood that until you surrendered everything to the Lord Jesus Christ, you could not be saved. Because you were in opposition to God. Sure, there are people in the room right now who've never trusted Christ. And you're on the, no, no, I get it all worked out. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do my stuff. I'm going to accomplish things. And I'm going to... And you're in opposition to God. You think you're doing wonderful things and, and the Lord's gonna go, I never knew you. I'm opposed to you. And it's your pride. It's your pride that, bring, that keeps you from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ with, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm messed up. There's nothing I can do. You, you made the gift. You gave the gift. You, you were the sacrifice. You were the price that was paid. Jesus, you paid it all for me. I don't earn it. I don't deserve it. You gave it to me. And in my arrogance and in my pride, I'm holding on to my things. And not anymore, Lord. Today, I'm going to let it go. God opposes the proud. But he gives the grace that saves you to those who will humble themselves and come under the mighty hand of God and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. There are consequences. If you've never trusted Christ, today's the day to set your pride aside and accept the free gift of Jesus Christ. I told you the story about uh, our access, the accident Sue had and families wanted to come along and help us. And, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Carl was about 12. Beth was about 10. And no, 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 we'll be okay. We'll be okay. We'll be okay. And uh, that was pride. That was pride. And God had to break me of that in that situation. Pride keeps us from Christ in salvation. But pride, pride keeps us from the joy and the peace and, the, and all that God wants to pour out on us as his children. Pride really is the opposite to grace. Um, here's some words you might want to write down. Pride gets. Grace gives. Pride is about me. Grace is about others. Pride says, I want. Grace says, what do you want or what do you need? Pride says, give me. Grace says, I surrender. Pride is me on the throne. Grace is releasing that control. Pride says, you don't matter. Grace says, you are first. Pride says, I know best. Grace says, you know best. Pride says, serve me. Grace says, serve others. Pride is about my plans. Grace is about your plans. Pride is a badge of honor. Grace is a gift from God. And grace is the antidote to the poison of pride. Well, really quickly... I want to go on and just look at grace for a few minutes. Because as he goes on to the rest of the text, he says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
Uh, the first grace I believe that God gives is Ephesians 2, and this is not in your notes, but that's, that's the grace for salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. We already talked about that. It's the surrendering of myself. I can't do this on my own. I'm separated from God. I have no hope. But as Peter now is writing out, he kind of as he's got this fire hose thing going on for these people, he gives them some things that grace will do. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble to do what? Well, to live in humility. You can't live in humility on your own. You want what you want too much. But as you surrender to the Lord, the Lord will give you the grace to be humble. But I love the way he phrases it here. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you. I think under the mighty hand of God is a great way to remember. You don't want to be in opposition to this. Under the mighty hand of God, you don't want to find yourself standing against God in things. But it's also a statement of great confidence for us as we humble ourselves. Who do we humble ourselves to? The mighty hand of God. Go back and consider who God is and what he has done. The one who is the creator of all, who by his word spoke and it was in place. The same one who led Noah to build an ark. The same one who was uh, helping the people and guiding them as they walked through the Red Sea. The same one who preserved Jonah in the fish's belly for three days so that he could go and preach to Nineveh for their repentance. The same one who, um, through the Holy Spirit, impregnated Mary as a virgin so she could bear a son the right sacrifice, the righteous sacrifice, the same one who gave his son and whose son came and hung on a cross and died, the same one who rose again, and the one who sits at the right hand of God making our appeal before God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under that God, under the mighty hand of God. What do you need to worry about? Well, you don't need to worry because of God who is in control. But he gives us the grace for that because we still push against it and we still want our way and we still struggle with those things. But he gives us the grace to humble ourselves. He says that he may exalt you in due time, in due time, in his perfect time, See, that's my problem. God and I sometimes aren't on the exact same page on this stuff. I'm like, ah, yeah, I've suffered enough. It's, Lord, it's time. Now. I don't want any more of this. I want to be exalted now. And then we take things in our own hands and we get on our little thing and away we go again and it's not time. And the Lord has to discipline us and and put us back and, and grow us up again and says, he will humble, the one who humbles himself, God will exalt in his time. If God has you in a humble place at the present time, we must submit to God's plan. He will exalt us. He will do it in his time. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. And at the right time, at his time, he will. It's not a thought he might. It's not a good luck, Charlie Brown. It's he will 
exalt us. His time, his way. Humble yourself. Verse 7 says, cast all of your cares, all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, this speaks to surrender. God gives us the grace to be humble. God gives us the grace to surrender. Surrender all of your anxieties. What are the things you find yourself all worked up about and struggling through and taking it back on every day? And we talked about the fact that we worry. 95% about what we worry about never happens anyways. But he says, Cast all of your anxieties on him. I surrender those things in my life, Lord, the best I can. I'm going to learn to do it. I'm going to do it faithfully. I'm going to grow in this area. Hey, I sit in my living room some nights knowing some of the things that are going on in your hearts and lives and knowing we have to deal with them the next day or the next week. And I got to tell you, I get anxious sometimes. And it's like, who do you think you are? This isn't yours. This is the Lord's. Lord, forgive me. And the next day we go and we do the thing and sometimes they work out great and we watch how God works and sometimes it takes a little longer and we, but don't be anxious. The problem is the next one comes up and there I am sitting in my chair again. Oh, who, who do you think you are? Don't be anxious. But cast your anxieties, cast your cares on the Lord. You know, worry is a form of pride. We don't think about it that way, but when you're worrying, you're taking it on yourself and it's become about you and Worrying is a form of, of pride. We need to uh, call it exactly what it is and give it to the Lord and, and the one whose mighty hand, he's the one who's cared. Look back in your life and see God's faithfulness and his goodness and rejoice in it and lean on those things as you move forward in your life. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. Now, again, you have to understand the context as he's writing this. Um, for the Greek culture, they could understand that God is good, right? So you've, God is good all the time. All the time? Right, right? So they got that part. They understood that part. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. But they didn't understand that God cared for them. They didn't believe that God actually cared for them. They understood that God was good, but they didn't understand that God cares for them. Casting all our cares upon him because he cares for us. Cared enough for you to send his son. Cared enough for you to send the Holy Spirit to uh, indwell you. Cares enough for you that God in his power, the, the standing before him, the righteousness that's there and our appeal being made before him through the working of the Lord Jesus Christ. He cares for us. And God will give you the grace to cast your anxieties and your cares upon him, knowing that he cares for you. Okay, here's the next one in verse 8. As he's just kind of given them all these things that God's grace can do for them. And in verse 8, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. So be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour 
We're told in this verse to resist him. Your adversary, the devil, is walking around. But he says here, he says, hey, hey, church, notice this. He says, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded and and be watchful. Be clear-headed. Be vigilant. The, The devil wants to tear down and destroy. And we need to be ready. And we need to be thinking people. We need to have our mind on these things. Be sober-minded. Don't underestimate the power of Satan. But don't overestimate it either. So many believers walk around in fear of Satan. Stop it. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God is greater. God's spirit is greater. I don't have to fear the evil one. I need to respect him. I need to understand his ways. I need to understand every temptation I get and every anxiety that comes upon me and everything that Satan says to me is based out of a lie. I'm not good enough. Who do you think you are? Are all lies from Satan that that take away what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. You're not good enough, right? You're not. And that's why Christ's righteousness is put on you. Who do you think you are? Well, you're nothing, but the Lord Jesus Christ is in you, your hope of glory. He gives you the grace to resist. Satan has not yet been bound. Not yet. But he doesn't rule in the believer. He has no dominion over you. You cast all of your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. When you fall in sin, you confess your sin and he will forgive. Sounds like a roar. His deceptive lies are still potent. He has the power to deceive. But Satan was defanged at the cross. He doesn't rule in your heart. The Lord Jesus Christ does. And he gives you the grace to resist. He gives you the grace in verse 9 to stand firm, to resist him, it says. Stand against him is what it means. The threefold enemy of every believer. Three words, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, That's what we wrestle against. It all comes down to those three things, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Well, what's the solution? The world is to flee. 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 2 Timothy 2, 22. Flee. When you're tempted to go and do the things that the world does and you shouldn't do it, the Bible says just flee those things. It's not rocket science. What the world wants to offer and what the world brings in its sinfulness, the Bible just says flee away from those things. If you don't get into them, if you're not a part of them, they won't rule in your life. The world The flesh is what I want. And when I want what I want more than what God wants for me, what do we do? Deny yourself. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to have it. It's not what God has for me. Deny yourself, Romans 6, 12 and 13, and Romans 8, 13. Deny yourself of those things. I've lost some weight. I'm looking to lose some more weight. The only way that's going to happen is deny myself. A quarter pounder and supersize is never going to be good for me. 
A quarter chicken white with fries? Not a good decision most of the time. If I'm going to lose weight, I have to discipline myself, and there are some things I just have to deny. Well, that's because our flesh wants what our flesh wants, and in our spirit, it's the same, and you just have to go, I'm not having that. Yes, I'm going to have salad with my quarter white. And I'm not going to put two pads of butter on the bun anymore. It's time to deny myself. You have to say no. And when the problem is the devil, you have to resist him. You have to resist him. It's a battle. It's a fight. And you have to resist him. Resist him. Firming your faith. Knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. What you're going through is not your thing and nobody else is going through it. We're all going through it. And he says you have to resist. You have to resist. Before we can stand and before Satan, we must bow before God. Before you'll ever be able to stand before Satan and see the victory that's there, you have to come to bowing before God and surrendering what you want and your rights and all of your stuff, and you've got to give it to the Lord. Hey, in verse 10, he uh, talks about being equipped. A really cool verse. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish all of that we look forward to in glory. But think about Peter as he was considering those words. He will restore and confirm and strengthen and establish the one who had so miserably failed at the death of Christ. And yet afterwards, go and tell the disciples about the resurrection and Peter and the Lord three times. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And the Lord restores him. What we need, God has for us. And we can rejoice in it. Verse 11 and 12, it's about being focused. He says, he says this. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And by Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God Stand firm in it. Church, church, what I'm giving to you in 1 Peter chapter 5, this is what you need. There's too much at stake. What's at stake? The glory of God. What's at stake? His dominion. What's at stake? His exaltation. Follower of Jesus Christ. Word to the elders. Guys, you've got a job to do. You be faithful in it. You stand in it. You don't give up. You, you lead well. You, a word to the others. And make sure pride is not ruling in your life. And make sure that you're not standing in opposition. And understand that God's grace will do all of these things in your life. Why? So that we'll have a focus towards his dominion, to his glory. Because the gospel is true. Now, people of God, let's live out our lives for the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, so what? So what? It's not for me. It's for his glory. The rock won't move. The Lord Jesus Christ is our foundation. 
When I'm struggling, when I am faltering, when I am hurting, the rock won't move. The rock won't move. He's the hope of my salvation. And he's the hope I have for the grace to walk forward for the fame of Jesus, my Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, this is your word. Peter just just poured it all out for these folks, Lord. As they were reading it, they must have been like, whoa. And Lord, that's how we need to respond to your word. There's so much here for us. And he gave the challenge to those who are to lead the church. God, give us wisdom, the elders in this church, to lead in a way that would glorify Jesus Christ, to lead in a way that would never bring shame to your name, to lead in a way that you would be pleased to take our church and continue to move us forward. And a word to the others, Lord, be subject, learn, come under, be humble, submit. Lord, the thing that's in our lives that we know today, we're standing in opposition to you. You are opposed to us in that. Give us the courage and the boldness to confess and get it right. And then live out of the grace because you give grace to the humble to live out for the fame of Jesus, our Savior, we pray in his name.